Well, good morning, loved ones. And let me remind you, you are loved, you are missed, and you are prayed for. Thank you for being so faithful during this time of um, awkwardness and time of crisis that our nation is facing. We're going to get through this by the grace of God, not by the ingenuity of man, although that plays a role. It's his grace that sustains us and keeps us. But mostly, you know that, we're going to get through. But mostly, I wanted you to know that you are very dear to my heart, the hearts of the pastors and other leadership here at the church. And we are anticipating that when we come through this, we will be stronger than ever and blessed of God. And part of the reason for that is we're learning. We're learning. I said a few weeks ago, and it's still true, my greatest fear for the church, our church, Christian life, my greatest fear is that we will come through this because of his love unscathed, but unchanged. This is not something that we just are trying to endure. This is something that we know God is working in. He's working through us. He's working for us. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. We talked about that lesson a few weeks ago. And we talked about the reality that God is moving us from where we've been to where we ought to be in our spiritual walk. So that's what, that's what I say. This, this experience we're walking through, we're counting on the Lord to be our protector and our provider. But we're asking him to do more than just get us through it. We're asking him to refine us and change us. In fact, um, from so many sources, there are two words that keep just percolating up to the top for the body of Christ. The first is the word review. This downtime, this Sabbath that the Lord has given us is a time of... Um, remembering and reviewing what we have been taught. And that's why our Sunday live streams have been basically recovering some things that we've been talking about a long, long time. It's not because I don't have any new sermons or any new ideas, but it's because this is a time for us to review. And, uh, and also the second word is recalibrate. God has brought me and you to this place so that we can remember what God has been investing in our lives for decades. And we also are at this point to recalibrate, to adjust the way we've been living and to set our priorities afresh and anew. Loved ones, my goal for you is not for you to get through this. My goal is for you and I to get through this with the resulting changes that God is working in our lives. We're going to talk today about the grace of prayer. Prayer is important to us. Pastor Justin mentioned to you about our Wednesday night uh, live stream. Um, for several years now, we've had Wednesday set aside as a time of fasting and prayer church-wide. We know not everybody can fast the whole day, but some can fast a meal, some can do a modified fast, but it's a day that we call everybody together for prayer, and, um, and it's a time that we come together for a great Bible study. 
Pastor Corey is teaching right now. And then every Wednesday night, Justin leads us in prayer, corporate prayer as a church for our special needs. And then Justin also mentioned that Sunday night, next Sunday night, we are going to uh, live stream a prayer meeting uh, for the whole body. Um, we know that your heart is to be here with us, but we're coming to you. We're going to have that hour of prayer and worship, and we're going to bring our petitions to the Lord. We believe in prayer, and that's why I want to talk to you today about the grace of prayer. Now, let's follow our custom, speaking of prayer, and let's pray the Lord's Prayer together, shall we? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Such a beautiful prayer. It reminds us that he is our sovereign king. It reminds us that he is our provider. Our daily bread comes from him. And he's also the one who pardons our sins uh, and gives us the grace to forgive others. So he's not only our sovereign and he's not only our provider and he's not only the God who pardons, but he is our protector. He leads us away from temptation and delivers us from the hand of the enemy. So we're so thankful as we talk about prayer to focus. There's a verse I want us to put our attention on today. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We approach the throne of grace with confidence. I tell you, if you're going to walk with God in any serious measure, you and I have to come to the place where we realize that we are welcome at the throne of grace. It's not by any works that we do. It's not by any good deeds that we have done that we gain access. It's His grace already at work in us. Prayer itself is a grace. And I love what Dick Eastman said. We quote this uh, uh, teacher of prayer very often around here. This is in your notes. Some things happen when I pray that do not happen if I do not pray. Therefore, Eastman says, if I fail to pray, then something in my life or the life of someone that I love may go undone. But if I do pray, then the resources of heaven will fill my life and will fill the lives of those for whom I pray. Let's talk about the grace of prayer. I know of nothing absolutely nothing that brings more guilt to the child of God than when the pastor preaches about prayer. Why? Because all of us know we ought to pray more than we pray. 
It's, it's not a God-driven thing. I mean, God is drawing us. He, Jesus taught a parable that we ought to pray without ceasing and not fail in our ceasing. Prayer is vitally important. But I was raised in a culture in their stressing of prayer. It made me feel that no matter how much I prayed, it wasn't enough. If I prayed a half hour, I should have prayed an hour. If I prayed an hour, I should have prayed two hours. I, I've only known one Christian in my whole life that ever said, yeah, I think I pray enough. I think I pray enough. And to tell you the truth, that woman of God was so special, I thought she prayed enough too. But most of us grovel. Most of us, when we're told to pray, it doesn't build our faith. It lessens our faith because we know that we could have prayed more. We know that we all have a tendency to come to God only when we have crisis. It's, it's almost like instead of king on the throne, which is the position from which we ought to pray to him, we treat him more like a janitor in a basement that we call up whenever we've created a mess. Whenever life gets hard, we begin to say things like, where are you, God? When the fact of the matter is God could say of us, where have you been? You see, prayer ought to be the thing that encourages us, that gives us hope. And I think if we could begin to understand a little bit about the power of prayer, it might shift from being a point of shame to being a point of celebration. When we come through this, when we begin to gather, when the Yankees win the pennant, when everything's back on track as it ought to be, there's going to be a decision that every one of us has to make. Do I just go back to the way it was or do I say I have learned these lessons and the thing that's going to impact my life most of all is I'm going to change the way I pray. Um, you see... Jesus is not just a sliver of your life. He's not just the man upstairs. Um, he's not a cosmic judge that we've got to somehow figure out how to make him happy. You know, do we sacrifice a virgin on the altar? Do we throw somebody into the volcano? That's not the God that we serve. He has already moved in close and you don't pray to get close to him, you, although that would be a result, you don't pray in order to get his favor. We pray because we have his favor. We pray because we are close to him. I love the word of the angel that when he was speaking to Mary. His name shall be called Jesus, and Jesus means Savior. That's the word, the name Joshua in Hebrew. It means Savior. He said, his name shall be called Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. That's the first reason Jesus came, is to save us from our sins. But the angel also said this, he shall be called, now this wasn't his name, but he shall be called Emmanuel which meant God with us because he wanted the people to understand when this baby was born, he's not just coming to forgive our sins, but he is the God that they thought had moved far away. There had been about 400 relatively silent years that Israel had faced between the prophet Malachi, the last writing prophet. There were prophets during that period, but he was the last writing prophet. And then the arrival of Messiah was nearly 400 years. And the people had begun to hope for 
Messiah, but God had seemed to become someone that was far off. But the angel says he's not only coming to save you from your sins, but he's going to remind you that he's the God who is up close. He is God with us. Oh, there's a lot of bad teaching going around today that the God of the Old Testament was about anger and wrath. But, but thankfully, we got God to take anger management classes and get on some medication. And now we have God 2.0. And we have entire churches and movements neglecting the Old Testament God and saying Jesus is the New Testament God. And they're different. Nothing could be further from the truth. When Moses said, Lord, show me your glory, show me yourself, how did the Lord reveal himself? He said, I am the God of loving kindness, of faithful tenderness and mercy. I am the God of steadfast love. Even when Israel had been conquered by the nation of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar, it was Jeremiah who said the steadfast Fast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And great is your faithfulness, O God. That's the Old Testament God. Jesus isn't God improved. Jesus is God clarified. And Jesus showed how much that Old Testament God loves us, but he also showed how serious a matter sin is. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And that's not just Old Testament theology, that's New Testament theology. And we need to understand that Paul meant it in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 19, when he said, the Lord knows who are his... And he said, and know this, everyone who names the name of the Lord should depart from iniquity. I'm not presenting a God that says it doesn't matter how you live. I'm not presenting a God that says your sins don't matter. But I am presenting a God who died on the cross that our sins might be forgiven. And because we are his children, remember John said in chapter 1, he came into his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. And because we are his children, God says, I am Emmanuel. I'm not just Jesus who saves you. I am Emmanuel who moves in close. And God marks our life with grace. Grace is what enables us to not only be what we ought to be, but do what we ought to do. Now, there's a few ideas we want to carry forward as we talk about the grace of prayer. As I said, you can see there on your note, Satan always wants to smother our prayers in guilt. He wants you to believe that God might or might not be willing to answer your prayer depending on your last good moment or your last bad moment. His primary weapons, the enemy I'm talking about against us, are accusation and intimidation. He wants to tell us how bad we are and he wants to make us fearful of his power instead of us turning our trust and love to the Lord. But how does God counter that? By giving us grace. In your notes, grace is the life-giving, life-sustaining power of Christianity. Without grace, Christianity doesn't exist. 
Paul said to the Ephesians, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. By grace, through faith, not of works. Now he would go on and say that works have a place. He said, in fact, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, but that is an expression of our love to him for saving us. We're never saved by works. Don't let anybody put you on a guilt trip to think that you're acceptable to God because of your works. Good works should follow, but good works don't take you to heaven. Good works follow you there. Now, let's go a little deeper on this idea of grace. You see the definition of grace. Grace is divine influence that regenerates us and sanctifies us. We are regenerated. Jesus called it being born again by grace. We're regenerated by grace. And then we're also sanctified by grace. Grace not only gets us right with God, grace helps us grow into the image of Christ. In other words, as I like to say, I think it was Sidlow Baxter that put it this way, grace is God's goodwill toward us his open arms toward us, his goodwill toward us, but grace is also God's good work in us. By grace, we're not only declared righteous, but by grace, we're able to live a righteous life. Now, there's different types of grace. There's provenient grace or what we call common grace. That is the favor of God that's extended to all mankind in varying degrees and varying circumstances, where even if a person doesn't believe in God, there is a common grace, a, a mercy, a compassion, a drawing that is extended to everyone. But to those who press into the Lord Jesus, there is justifying grace, or we might call it saving grace. But not only is there common grace and saving grace, there is sustaining grace also called sanctifying grace. I'm becoming more like the Lord and I am, I am made to be an overcomer, a victorious Christian, because His grace sustained me. So it sustains me. So it's all by grace. And He tells us that there are some ways that we can grab hold of grace in our life. Now, depending on your church background, you might have a, a, a list of three means of grace or six or seven means of grace. It may vary, but there are some common um, uh, contact points when we talk about means of grace among most, most Christians. Number one, how does grace enter my life? Number one, it's through prayer, including worship. When I worship God, that's why we begin our service with prayer, uh, with uh, worship, not because we just think these singers are great, which we do, um, but not because we want to showcase their talent, but because God inhabits the praises of his people. He, he inhabits, he lives there. So when we worship, when we, when we praise, when we pray, Whatever kind of prayer we pray, whether it's supplication or thanksgiving, whatever our prayer is, it is a means of grace and God's enabling ability fills our life. Another means of grace is the Word of God. That's why, um, you know, we don't do just little 10-minute talks. I mean, nothing wrong with that, but that's why we spend a lot of time on the Word of God because we believe that the Word of God proclaimed is worth our time 
because it is a means of grace. If we open our hearts to the preaching of the word, we come away stronger and we come away better. I'll tell you something else that's a grace. Boy, and you'll agree, everybody's going to say amen to this right now because we can't do it. And that is the gathering of the saints. There is a grace that happens when the people of God come together. And um, that's why Paul said that you should not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a custom of some people is. He said, especially as you see the day of the Lord's return coming. So we get grace from the gathering of saints. And don't forget when we receive the table of the Lord, communion, that is a special means of grace that God bestows upon us. Now, he gives us these means of graces, um, of grace, um, and, and we're thankful for that. And then our activities are blessed with grace. Paul talked to the Corinthians about having the grace of giving. He said to the Laodicean church, when you give, you give out of deep poverty, but the need is met because there's a grace on your giving. That's why God is able to take what looks like nothing almost, the, the widow's might, and God is able to take gifts that seem insignificant, but his grace is upon it. So it is multiplied and it's like the breaking of the loaves and the fish. It just keeps growing and keeps multiplying. But there's also, and there's other types of graces, but I want to bring our attention to a very special grace called the grace of prayer. Now, we understand what grace is. Now, let's go a little bit deeper into the grace of prayer in the time that we've got remaining today. Um, number one, well, basically, I want you to see two things. I want you to see that with this understanding that God delights in your prayer. Stop putting up with those thoughts that say, well, I should have prayed more. If you need to pray more, pray more. But God is not shaming you over your prayer life. If that's happening, it's the enemy or it's some self-righteous person. God says, come to the throne of grace that you can find help when you need it. There's two dynamics to prayer. Number one, prayer is something that I give or something that I do. But not only is it something that I do, prayer is something that I receive. And you say, well, why are they both important? Isn't it more important for me to pray myself instead of having people pray for me? Sometimes I think, you know, we, we need a regular prayer life. You need to pray. But contrary to what some Christians might teach, sometimes they're so low, you're, you're so low or you're so sick or you're so weak or you're so bum-fuzzled. Sometimes it's hard to pray. And I know in some of the lowest places of my life, I remember what the women's ministries director from my home church taught me, Sister Harrelson. She said, sometimes the best prayer you can pray is, Lord, raise up people to pray for me. Lord, wake up people tonight to pray for me. Lord, touch somebody's heart, burden them to pray for me. And I can tell you this, loved ones, in some of the deepest, darkest places of my life, people would respond unexpectedly, unsolicited, without me even sharing the request. Hey, I just want you to know God has stirred my heart. I'm praying for you. There are times that I prayed till I don't know what to pray. That's why I need prayers given for me. Now, the prayers that I give, you can see in your notes, prayer can be systematic. This can include forms of prayer and 
and, you know, memorize prayer, freestyle prayer, uh, prayers that are systematic. I have a prayer list that I go through every week. I have prayers that I pray every day, but there are also prayers that I add to that as the Lord leads me or as my heart is burdened. In other words, prayer may be spontaneous or it may be systematic. Um, Prayer may be uh, centered around spiritual soaking. Sometimes our prayer is just going to the Lord with worship and praise and thanksgiving, and it's just the offering of gratitude out of our heart that rises up to the Lord. Now, prayer can be very liturgical. You know, we pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. That's, that's liturgical, part of our worship. And prayer may also be impartational. Um, we believe at the end of services, normally when we gather, we lay hands on people, we pray for them because we believe that not only is prayer something that we do uh, systematically and spontaneously, but we believe that some things happen when we lay hands on folks and pray for them as we do it at the direction of the Holy Spirit. Prayer can be intercessory. That's another topic for another time. But let me talk to you about prayer being something that I receive. You say, well, <laughs> wow, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody, known of anybody praying for me. Or you might be surprised at the people in your life that love the Lord and love you. And I'll tell you this, a Christian that loves the Lord and loves you is not going to fail to pray for you. When Samuel wrote to Israel, this is what he said. He, and this was even after they had rejected him and heard him. This is what Samuel said. He said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. When you are loved by a child of God, let me tell you, you are prayed for. But if you're a, if you're a Christian and you may say, I wish I had somebody praying for me like that. I wish somebody would, would call out my name in prayer. Let me tell you, it's already happening. Let me tell you the three ways that we know from Scripture that it's happening. Number one, my fellow believers are praying for me. People that I don't even know are praying for me, are praying for me, some of them regularly. And it's because God commanded it in the book of James. Therefore, confess your sins one to another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. Why should we pray for one another? Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. God doesn't wait for our prayers to be perfect. He doesn't wait for us to be perfect. He says when a righteous person, and remember we're righteous because of him, because of his blood over our lives. He says it has great power as it is working. You say, well, you know, I don't know of anybody I respect enough that I want praying for me. Well, they're out there. And you've got to understand our prayers don't have to be perfect. In Acts chapter 12, this is one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite stories. Peter is in jail. Now, uh, James, one of the inner circle of the disciple, was, was killed by the political authorities. And it was so popular with the enemies of the gospel that he arrested St. Peter and said, well, we'll kill him as well. And on the eve of his execution, he was, he was surrounded by four um, uh, 
teams of, or by four soldiers, four teams of four soldiers. He was behind three sets of prison doors. And it paints the bleakest, darkest picture in Acts chapter 12. He was chained to these guys going to be executed in the morning. But then in Acts 12 is that word I love so much. There's the word but. But prayer was made without ceasing by the church. In other words, with all of the darkness and gloom, something mitigated what hell wanted to do, and it was the prayers of the saints. And you say, well, I know they must have been perfect. Well, let me tell you how perfect their faith was. The angel of the Lord came. The people of God were praying. The angel of the Lord came, um, broke the chains off Peter while the guards slept. Peter got up, left the prison miraculously, walked past all the guards who never saw him. The three prison doors opened of their own accord, I mean, an absolute miracle. Peter thought he was having a vision till he got outside and the night air hit his face and he realized, this has really happened. God has delivered me. And he went to where those people were praying and he knocked on the door. A little servant girl named Rhoda answered the door and she, you know, they were afraid. They, they knew that there was a great persecution going on. And she said, who is it? And he said, Rhoda, it's Peter. It's me. God has released me. And Rhoda was so excited that she ran in without opening the door. She left poor Peter outside. And she went into that prayer meeting where these people that you think had perfect faith were praying. And she told them, God has sent an angel and released Peter. Now what were they praying? God sent an angel and release our brother. And she came in and said, God did exactly what we asked for. And what was the response of these people of faith? You're crazy. You've lost your mind. Someone else says, his ghost has come to tell us goodbye. They've killed him early. Well, you know the rest of the story. They finally believed. And the amazing thing about that story is that they were praying. Their faith wasn't perfect. Their, their mindset wasn't perfect. Their expectation wasn't perfect. But prayer impacts God so much that even when our prayers aren't perfect, God delights in answering them. So I've got fellow brothers and sisters praying for me. Number two, Jesus himself is praying for me. He's my great high priest. He's at the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession. Beautiful, beautiful story. This is how the writer of Hebrews describes it. Former priests were many in number, because they were prevented uh, by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Since he always lives. King James says, ever lives to make intercession for them. Loved ones, I'm not only prayed for by brothers and sisters, but even if I'm forgotten by them, my great high priest never forgets me. He is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us day and night, day and night. And I want to tell you this, when Jesus prays, it makes a difference. I remember Luke chapter 22, just before the crucifixion, um, 
Jesus spoke to all of the disciples. He said, Satan has desired to have you. And that word you there was plural. He said, Satan has desired to have all of you that he might sift you as wheat. But then he changes to the singular as he's speaking to Peter because we know about Peter's struggle with denying the Lord. He says, Satan wants all of you. But to Peter, he says, but I have prayed particularly for you, Peter. It was as though Jesus was saying, your trial is going to be the deepest. Your struggle is going to be the darkest. But I have prayed for you. What, is, what did he pray? He said, I prayed for you that your faith won't fail. That your faith won't fail. Can I tell you that the Lord knows every bit of bad news that you're going to get in the days ahead? The Lord knows about every failure in your life, every weakness, every time you cave into temptation, every time you face something that you think isn't fair. God says, I knew about that. Jesus says, I knew about that. And here's the beautiful thing. Just like he says to Peter, he says to you, but I have prayed for you. See, no matter what I'm facing, God knew about it. He knew about the coronavirus. He knew about the loss of employment. He knew about the cancer that's working in your body, whatever your, your issue is. He knew about the rebellious child or the unfaithful spouse. He knew about it. And it's not just God saying, oh, I knew that. He says, I've been praying that your faith doesn't fail and that you'll be strong. I can't guarantee you a trouble-free life. I can't guarantee you that everything you think is good is going to come to pass. But I can tell you this. Our great high priest never stops interceding for those things that trouble your life. One more thing and then we're going to, to close. My fellow brothers and sisters pray for me. My, my great high priest prays for me. But did you know that the Holy Spirit himself, the Spirit who lives in you as a child of God, that he prays for you as well? He prays for you as well. Listen to Romans 8, 26 to 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we uh, should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now I know that we can pray in the Spirit in at least two ways. We can pray in the Spirit in our natural language because the Spirit helps us know how to pray. I believe that's praying in the Spirit. And I know that not everybody that listens to me is Pentecostal today, but you need to understand at Christian Life, we are 100% Pentecostal. I mean, we are ruined for anybody telling us it's for another age and another time. Because number one, we believe that the Pentecostal experience with the evidence of speaking in tongues, we believe that's scriptural, uh, number one. Number two, it's been the experience of our lives and, and um, number three, if you'll be objective, you'll see that as the church grows around the world, the majority of people that are coming to Jesus are also coming 
into this place in Pentecost where they understand the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me talk about tongues before you get upset about tongues. Let me explain that there are, there are four different types of tongues. They're the same in essence, but different in purpose. You've got it there in your notes. There are tongues that are tongues of praise and worship. We see that in Acts chapter 2. We see it in Acts chapter 10. It's when the Holy Spirit comes upon a meeting. And this is not the time when there's a restriction on one or two speaking in tongues. This is a time when the congregation responds in grace and praise and worship uh, through the Holy Spirit uh, as in Acts 2 and in Acts 10. Um, it might surprise you to know that there is a manifestation of tongues expressed in song. In song, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 14 and 15, he said, I will worship God, and or he said, I will sing with the understanding, and I will sing with the Spirit. And we've experienced that where people, we worship God like we did today with understanding, but there are times that the Spirit overflows our life and we find ourselves singing in the Spirit. Number three, there are tongues that are an utterance to the church. Now, this is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and alluded to in 13. This is where there is a message, an utterance given to the church by someone. It's called the gift of tongues. And when Paul said, does everyone speak in tongues? Well, the obvious answer is no. But he was contextually, he was talking about this gift of a message going out to the congregation. And um, it was that type of tongue that Paul said, you know, don't do that too many times or people will think you're crazy. Let it be moderated because you need to have that interpreted. And that's one of the gifts of the Spirit. But, but what I want to talk about for just a second is that there are tongues of prayer. We, believe, we call it a prayer language in our culture. Now, I'm not saying this to try to convince those of you maybe that are visiting with us today that you ought to speak in tongues. We, we don't say and we don't teach that everybody who is a Christian has to speak in tongues. That's never been our posture. We don't say that if you don't uh, speak in tongues, you haven't measured up somehow and someone that speaks in tongues has. We don't say that at all. But we do say this. We believe that every child of God has this beautiful gift of tongues open to them as they seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't speak in tongues, it may be because you've never been taught that. It may be because you've been taught bad stuff about tongues. It may be that it's just brand new to you. But, but I want to tell you that there is a beautiful gift available to the child of God and it's praying in the Spirit. There are times I don't know how to pray. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 talked about tongues being tongues of men and tongues of angels. And um, I, I'd, I'd like to direct you to a book. I've got to hurry. But it's a book spoken by the Spirit by Ralph Harris. It's from Gospel Publishing House. Uh, and also a book called Before We Kill and Eat You by H.B. Garlock. And both of those books, well, Garlock's book is about a lot of things, but spoken by the Spirit are incidents when people were speaking not only in a heavenly language, but they were speaking in an unlearned language that was an earthly language. There's such a beautiful expression of the Spirit's power in this. But you say, well, what is it like for the Spirit to pray through me? Let me explain it to you this way. Something out of my life. Now, Romans um, 
Jude 1 says, be praying in the Holy Spirit. And then we read Romans 8. I went through something years ago. I was still a Bible college student, my early 20s. I was about 21 or 2 years old, I guess. And it looked like my world had just fallen apart. It looked like my world had just absolutely fallen apart. And I could not get any relief. It wasn't because of sin. It wasn't even my fault, much less my sin. Uh, it was not my decision, but it was a decision that was made that put everything that I thought God had spoken into my life on hold. Now, I had had my brothers and sisters pray for me. I know that Jesus was praying, and I just, from my perspective, there was no breakthrough. It felt like almost every evening, and I think it was true, every evening for several weeks, I cried myself to sleep every evening. That's how broken I was. I tried talking to my pastor. I tried talking to friends. Nothing brought comfort to me. Um, some mornings I woke up crying. I guess in my subconscious mind, I was living through this and I, I, it went on like that for nearly a month and I did not know how, how to deal with it. And my mom was washing dishes one day and she said, honey, we're all praying for you. She said, you have got to pray this thing through. You've got to pray in the Holy Spirit and you've got to let him help you. And I, boy, that irritated me. You, you don't like being corrected by somebody that's supposed to be theologically inferior to you. And um, I said, I have prayed. I prayed till I'm blue in the face. And I'll never forget my mom pulling her hand out of the dishwater, pointing that finger at me. And nobody has a finger as long and menacing as a holy mama on a, on a mission for God. And the water was dripping off. I remember soap suds on her hand. And she said something that rattled my world. She said, you've prayed, but you have not prayed in the Holy Ghost. And I thought, well, I know what she's talking about. And she was talking about praying in tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. And um, I carried that around for a couple of days. I went to church Sunday night. And her words and that long finger were very strong on my mind. And I remember sitting through the service. There was a world-renowned speaker there. C.M. Ward was speaking at... Um, at a church and at our church, and he was a it was a it was an honor just to hear someone like C.M. Ward, but I couldn't get the mind on the message. And I, I remember while he was preaching, I said this: I said, "Lord, I've done everything I know to do. I've done everything I know to do." And I said, "I think my mama was right." I said, "I've spoken in tongues since I was in elementary school." but I need to pray in, the t in tongues. I need to pray in the Spirit. Now, the Bible says when we pray in the Spirit, it's not according to our understanding. It's the Spirit in us speaking with groanings that cannot be uttered. In, in other words, it's prayers that cannot be put into words of our understanding. I, I said, Lord, I need to, I need to talk to you. And I, I know you don't just turn tongues on and off, but I need you to help me because I've tried everything. I was like Paul in the shipwreck. Luke said, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. I felt like all hope was gone. 
I couldn't wait for C.M. Ward to give the altar call. I don't know what he preached about. There's no telling what altar call I answered. It could have been for, you know, prostitutes or drunks. I, I have no idea what I answered. But I remember as soon as he opened the altars, I literally ran down that aisle. And I, I know it couldn't have happened this way, but in my mind, I was about 12 feet away when I hit my knees and just slid into the altar. That's probably an exaggeration, but that's what it felt like. But I got there in the altar and I thought, this is where I've been for the last month, on my knees before God. And I did not know what to say. I'd said it all. I didn't know how to pray. My wisdom had been exhausted. And I remember as I buried my head down on that altar, I said one word in English. It was one word. I said, Jesus. That was the sum of all of my praying. I knew that it was in Jesus. I said, Jesus. And loved ones, I want to tell you, out of my innermost being came that well of living water. I began to pray in a language that I did not know. I began to pray in tongues as was the normal Christian life in the New Testament. You've got to remember every church in the New Testament was a Pentecostal church. Every church member in the New Testament understood tongues. So I'm, we're not talking about some demonic or some aberrant experience. It began to just pour and it was like something opened up and it just began to come forth. And loved ones, I want to tell you, I went to that altar in despair and I would imagine for about 20 minutes that just continued as prayer was being made for me, intercession was being made for me. I didn't know what was being said, but I knew two things. I knew it was according to the will of God. And I knew that when the Spirit prays according to the will of God, is how He always prays, it has effective power. And I prayed without knowing a word that was said. And after that 20 minutes or so, I did something I'd not been able to do for several weeks. I took a good deep breath. And all of the anxiety was gone. All of the fight was gone. All of the bitterness was gone. All of the fear about the future was gone. And I stood up in that altar not knowing what the Spirit prayed, but I knew that He had prayed according to the will of God, and I knew that it was going to be all right. I knew that it was going to be all right. Now, I know that's a stretch for some of you, but let's just put our arms around what we can today. Number one, pray because God welcomes your prayer. Go to the throne of grace where you can find help in time of need. Number two, receive the prayers that are being offered up for you. Receive the prayers of that mama. Receive the prayers of that aunt or uncle. Receive the prayers of your parents. Receive the prayers of children. Receive the prayers of the church down the road. Someone is praying for you. But if you're a child of God, understand that the high priest of your souls is praying. Jesus is praying for you. And if you are a child of God, understand that the Spirit lives in you. If you're a child of God, you have His Spirit. And the Spirit knows how to pray when words fail. The bottom line, the takeaway for each of us is that He has not left us as orphans. He has not left us alone. 
But in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the economy of God's grace, God has surrounded us with means of grace. And all we have to do is receive. Father, I pray for friends and loved ones and neighbors and relatives. I pray for folks that maybe we've never met. But in the name of Jesus, we know that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We thank you that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And I pray that today people would turn their hearts to Jesus. I pray today that folks that have already given their hearts to Jesus would serve him more fervently and effectively. Lord, help us all to walk with you. And because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. As Pastor Justin reminded you, if you want prayer, contact the church. He'll tell you how. The address is on the screen. I love you so much. Thank you for joining us today. God bless you. We'll see you next week.